to our weekly webinar series, Successful Strategies for Shaping Your Future. Thanks for joining us once again. The series, as always, is brought to you by URSA, Club Solutions, and RICS Executive Roundtables. I'm Brent Darden, and this week we're focusing on cost containment and budget planning. And today's session is sponsored by Wexer. Uh, joining me again are returning panelists, good friends, and alter egos, Blair McCainy, CEO of MXM and owner of the Works of Wenatchee, and Bill McBride, co-founder, president, and CEO of Active Wellness. Uh, joining us as guests this week and have actually participated with us in the past as well, first Paula Newbert, who's the president and general manager of Club Greenwood, and Lori Smith, who's the Senior Vice President with Villa Sport Athletic Club and Spa. So thanks uh, everyone for coming back to be panelists. We're excited to hear about this topic. Uh, of course, it's at the top of everyone's mind going through uh, you know, the pandemic and still fighting to stay open, not get closed down again. And in the meantime, trying to balance those financial uh, spreadsheets, which is increasingly difficult the longer this continues. So before we uh, get into the questions, Paul, I'll, I'll start with you, or I'll start with Lori first. And uh, Lori, why don't you give everybody a little perspective on Villa Sport, and then I'll let you do the same, Paula. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone. Villa Sport operates in four states. We have seven large multi-purpose resort-style clubs, three in the Houston area, one in Colorado Springs, Colorado, one in Beaverton, Oregon, and one in Roseville, California, and San Jose, California. I've been with the company getting close to 10 years, and um, we were on an active growth path prior to the pandemic, and we're looking forward to uh, getting back to that someday. We continue to be bullish on the club industry. Okay, that's a good word. I like that. Bullish on the club industry. Okay, Paula. Um, thank you, Brent. Nice to see all of you today. I'm Paula Newbert, and I'm the President General Manager at Club Greenwood in Greenwood Village, Colorado, which is just south of Denver in the Tech Center. We have a 101,000 square foot main club and a 52,000 square foot tennis club. sits on 13 acres here in Greenwood Village. Um, I, I think that was a great word, Lori. Exactly. So, and I'm optimistic, though, also about the fitness industry because, again, it's a uh, is the best industry to be in right now. Um, we know that we're here to help people and uh, we just need to make sure that we can survive and get through this thing so we are available to help all those folks with the unintended consequences of other illnesses and disease that's going to come out of this and we need to be there for all of them. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Well, and some great news, by the way. Congratulations on the Colorado uh, State Alliance. Can you give everybody a little bit of insight and let us uh, sort of celebrate vicariously with you about the big win yesterday? Yes, big, big win in Colorado. So we formed the Colorado Fitness Coalition back in August, um, obviously trying to do what most of you have done in other states by forming alliances. And one of the things that Colorado does is they formed a, a dashboard dial sorry guys, formed a dashboard dial that allows counties to move through different levels automatically based on varying metrics. So whether it's cases, hospitalizations, ICU, so, so forth, the counties don't have to submit variances, it just automatically happens. And so the stay at home, obviously is where none of us wanna be, 
Level three is the lowest of all of the safer at home levels with the most restrictions. And in that level three, it actually requires gyms to be closed. Level two is kind of the middle. Level one is where our club had been in Arapahoe County for a while. And then protect your neighbor, which is where we all wanna be, where all the restrictions are lifted and we're getting back to a normal state. Um, we were notified last week that Adams County and Denver County, and Denver County is where the city of Denver is and the most residents obviously, were very close to moving to a level three, meaning that gyms were gonna have to be shut down again. So we immediately went to work calling, emailing the Colorado Department of Public Health Environment, the governor's office, the COVID team and so forth. This weekend we put together a letter and bullet point three different things. One being that there are zero outbreaks of the virus in any clubs throughout the entire state of Colorado. Two, that we're able to fulfill the mandates better than most industries by one, we can require everybody to wear a mask at all times. Whereas if you're in a restaurant, you take it down while you're eating. Two, contact tracing, because obviously we have a membership base, we have a timestamp where everybody is, they have to reserve every spot that they're doing anything in the club. And then three, health equity. This pandemic has been very difficult for lower socioeconomic neighborhoods. And by removing their ability to participate in lower cost uh, forms of exercise, say they could get into a Choose Fitness or a Planet Fitness or a Vasa Fitness for $10, and they're saying, well, no, go exercise outside. Well, it's zero degrees in Colorado, or it was here this last few days. So exercising outside in Colorado is not going to be an option here for the winter. Or two, do virtual. Well, what happens if those homes don't have access to um, internet or they don't have a phone or a cable or computer different things where you could actually see virtual or what if they live in a household where there's so many folks they don't have room to exercise or there's too many people so the health equity was our third piece um, we followed up with a phone call with executive director ryan who's in charge of the cdphe she got back to us and her words were i agree and so she immediately went to work with her covid team yesterday our phone was ringing off the wall. People from Adams County, Denver County, or please help us, please help us, we can't get shut down. They flipped it around in less than two days and changed the restrictions so level three clubs can be open in Denver County and Adams County, and any county that moves to a level three in Colorado gets to be open. 25% capacity, 20 or 25 patrons per room, whichever is the lesser of the two, Obviously, we're huge win for us, so we're so excited. So all of those clubs, fitness facilities, boutiques, everybody's open. Otherwise, they would have had to close today at five. Nobody's closing. Fantastic. Yeah. And, in, and in 800, in 800 uh, as of the 21st in Colorado, over 800 outbreaks being traced in the state of Colorado with 666 of them resolved, about 160 of them still active, not one from fitness. Not one since right. June 15. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So for the audience out there listening, if you're not already involved in a, your state alliance, if your state has one, 
you know, uh, I think we'd all encourage you. This is a great testimony to the value that they can have locally, getting the, the group together and taking action. You can go to ursa.org. There's a dedicated page there about how to form your alliance, uh, sample documents, uh, templates, a list of all the alliances, including uh, the one Paula's on and Bill's on and Blair's on. Lori, I don't know if you're on those as well. Uh, but it tells you who is in charge of those different alliances, gives you their uh, email address and their phone numbers. So if you're interested in forming or joining a state alliance, you can find all that information uh, on ursa.org very easily. So let's uh, thank you, Paula. Congrats again. Pass that on to everyone there uh, from all of us. Thank you. So the topic today, uh, again, is cost containment and budget planning. Um, and Lori, I know Villa Sports taken a little bit of a unique approach to that as, as we were talking about earlier. Can you kind of share the philosophy that your organization's taken around uh, planning for 2021? Sure. Um, we just believe there's way too much uncertainty right now, um, whether the pandemic gets better or worse, whether governments decide to shut down our facilities again, whether they change our capacities. In California, we've experienced being allowed to be open outdoors, but not indoors and vice versa, uh, which features and services I'll allow. Um, even so unpredictable what consumer attitudes uh, towards fitness will be. So we just, we made the decision. We don't feel it's a worthwhile investment of our time to work on budgets. Normally this is a time of year where we're all immersed head first into budgets. We've been, since the pandemic started, since we were able to reopen our clubs, managing, actively managing on a daily basis, weekly basis, our payroll and our expenses. And we're just gonna continue that. Try to come up with multiple scenarios. Who knows which one will be. At some point in 2021, we may decide to budget for the rest of the year, but we're, we're punting for now and sticking with, what, with our uh, active management. Yeah, excellent. Um, and I've talked with many other club operators that are taking a similar approach. There's just really so much uncertainty about planning and guessing uh, about the revenue aspect going forward uh, in particular. Uh, Blair, Bill, either one of you have any thoughts about the sort of what your organizations are doing planning financially for 2021? And can you give us a rundown on that? Go ahead, Bill, okay. you know, first, or Blair, whatever. Yeah, real quick, because we sort of have taken the same approach. We're actually, we are setting goals. We have a planning session actually next week, um, and we're setting goals only through uh, the end of February right now. And that's as far as we're going. We're not going to, I think Laurie hit it right on the head. We're not going to invest a lot of our time and effort trying to figure out uh, what's going to happen. The broad question we're asking is how, how can we cash flow on half the revenue? And uh, that that's kind of fundamentally what we're what we're tracking to is it will be at about 50% revenue. We've only been open four weeks right now, so we'll be at about 50% revenue. How do we how do we make ourselves profitable at that level? Um, and then how do we and then you know of course I'm always gonna you know what are the main things that we have to have in there to make sure the member experience is great? That's that's kind of how we're approaching. Yeah, just as a quick data point for uh, those listening, everyone that's on the panel today is also on Rex Roundtables, and we did a survey of all the Rex members, uh, which included over 300 different clubs just last week. And one of the questions we asked was, 
what are your revenues as of September this year compared to September of 2019? And the answer was on average 69.7%, almost 70%. And of course that number is weighed down a little bit by California, New York and other areas that haven't been open very long. And then it's supported on the other end of the spectrum by clubs that have been open, you know, five months or thereabouts. But uh, as an average, the revenues, once people have been open for a while, are about 70%, which uh, on one hand is, you know, not too bad. Uh, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good number for people that have been open a little while. Lori? Brent, did, uh, I meant to ask Eddie this and I haven't gotten around to it. Did you see any difference in fitness only clubs versus multi-purpose clubs in terms of how far back they are? Um, I don't think Eddie broke it out uh, that specifically, but Ursa's done some research around that and tracking sort of where the revenues are. Uh, and by and large, the multi-purpose sort of higher end clubs are trending higher attendance than uh, the lower price clubs so, so far. Yeah. Yeah, their participation numbers are a little higher. Bill? Yeah, I think Blair, Blair and, and I love what Lori said, you, you know, it's hard to budget right now. I think there's a difference between some terminology. There's budgeting, right, which is a, a plan. Then there's forecasting. And then when you're opening a new site, there's guessing, right, pro forma, right? So um, from a forecasting point of view, we're forecasting three scenarios. Um, we're not spending the time on the detailed budgets, just like Lori's you know, talked about, agree with her 100%. But, you know, what's the status quo? If things continue the way we are now, where we are with with yeah. partial opening, partial revenue, uh, what happens if we have another closure? And then uh, and what's the recovery look like? You know, so we are doing forecasting, um, not budgeting, um, and mainly around, you know, what, what Blair said, how do we run cash flow to declining revenue? Um, my men, one of my mentors in finance a long time ago, you know, Scott Thomas, who still works at U.S. Fitness Holdings. When I was a GM, he was a CFO of Sport and Health, uh, and got a lot of my financial training from Scott. And he used a, a wig, you know, where I've been, where I'm going, kind of model. And and I think we've got to think through those planning aspects because there's things that, you know, we 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 didn't have to account for before. How much of our PPP money is going to be forgiven? and how much isn't. The rules keep changing and moving. I learned yesterday that interest isn't gonna be due until your forgiveness amount is calculated. So we don't really have an interest payment yet in most cases on most of these loans. How are you handling your deferred rent on your, on your, on your P&Ls? You know, you've got to take an account and readjust your rent allocation to the life of the lease. You know, so there's things that we got to consider when it comes to the budgeting topic, you know, from a financial gap accounting, you know, cash flow and, and forecasting. So, but status quo, another closure and um, and recovery is, is kind of how we're looking at, at, you know, forecasting versus budgeting. Okay, Paula, uh, can you add something to that about what Greenwood's doing, what y'all's approach? Well, actually I'll throw y'all for a loop because ours is done. <laughs> we have to do one. Um, based on the type of company that we are, we had to have a budget done and approved by our board of directors last week. And it has to be filed with the state by the end of the year. So we were forced into having to actually do a budget. Um, so it, it, needless to say, it was tricky. It was hard. Um, it had some guessing. It had some forecasting. It had all, everything in it you can imagine. Um, 
I think the most difficult part, and this was a reality check of where we were trying to be as conservative as possible, it took us back to revenues that we did in 2006. That was a slap in the face, I think, and probably the most difficult part because we were being real about what to expect and um, trying to budget with some reality to the situation. So revenues are back to 2006 while expenses are still at 2021. So the um, NOI that we're producing is about half of our normal NOI. Um, Club Greenwood usually does about a $4.3 million NOI. We're at about 2.2. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of money that we lost. And, you know, the biggest part when we're looking at this is how our year ends and this year is really going to help us as a foundation for next year based on membership resigns and membership um, sales for the, the end of this year. Because, you know, as we're continuing to go each month, we're still, we think we've finally hit the bottom and are actually going to have a net membership in November for the first time. Sales have been exceeding goals, but resigns have still been so much that we're still chinking down. We're down around 900 memberships from where we were this time last year. At our average uh, rate of $193 per month, that's $2 million right there. So we're already sitting there going, well, if, if $2 million is down in revenue and 40% of our income comes from non-dues revenue, well, we've lost all the non-dues revenue from those 900 people as well. So we're looking at that in the forecasting model too is, okay, here's our membership numbers of revenue. Here's our non-dues revenue that's going to go down because of what's happened to our membership base. Um, and And we're coming up on probably the most important month for us we run membership in two ways. One is month to month and one is a prepay. We don't have any contracts here, so any month to month you can get out at any time you want. Prepay though is a non-refundable, non-transferable. The majority of our members prepay in December. And that prepay incentive is a 10% discount when you prepay and you avoid the dues increase. Well, we're not going to have a dues increase because of the you know because of the pandemic. So there's one incentive that goes away. Plus, then people are looking at going. Well, are we going to get shut down again? And because prepays are non-refundable, non-transferable, do I want to prepay again? Right. We usually bring in a cash flow. Go ahead, Brent. Sorry. Yeah. So just want to get a couple of clarification around just a couple of things to help the audience. So you talked about what you're forecasting into 2021. Would you say right. your revenue is your forecast is down, you said 2006, but for the audience, they can't translate that. Is that a 20% drop in your projected revenues, 30, 40% sort of, if you had to pick a number percentage-wise, what would you say? 14 million to 10 million. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Very good. That's Bill? Yeah. yeah. Although uh, up. I think there's probably a lot of people on the call that would trade your 2.2 million. Uh, yeah, bottom really line. Yeah, you're right, I get that, definitely. Yeah. Go ahead, Ben. Paula Paul, Paul brings up a good point that a lot of clubs use prepaid to internally finance. Um, it could be a cheaper source of, of capital, of, of money. Um, Paula, I have one question for you. A lot of states, you can't make it non-refundable. You can't make it non, well, you can make it non-transferable, but, but a lot of prepaids are still technically month to month. They're just paid in advance yeah. in a lot of states. 
what percentage, I've always been reluctant to do prepaids beyond 5% max of my overall membership base, just for future mortgage kind of concepts. What percentage of your membership base are you comfortable with doing prepaids to get that money to use for operations? 28% of our membership prepays. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and it's for us, it supplements our cash flow. I mean, in December, it's an over $2 million cash flow that comes in in the month of December just from prepays alone. So that's why that is such an important month for us. If we use the data, because we have prepays that come up every single month, depending on when you join the club. So if we use the data that's been happening since we reopened in June to saying, here was our average amount that prepaid again for July. Here's our average amount that prepaid for August and so forth. It's about half that are either going to a prepay or going to prepay again or go to month to month. If we use that number again as a trend for what's going to happen in December, we're going to be down 50% in our cash flow. Now, if things keep going the wrong direction in Colorado for cases and so forth, is it going to bring more of a scare to people where they're again going to be less likely to prepay which as you all know cash is king it's going to affect our cash flow so that it's a it's a huge month for us going up and we're calling every single prepay talking to them we've we've already looked at how many of them have come back all of them have at least checked into the club except for 200 who have all been called and we've been talking to them why what how are you going to and so forth so okay Lori, i thought you wanted to chime in there oh, i was just going to ask in the case of a forced shutdown would you just extend their one year by the amount of months you're so that so that would eliminate some of the worry wouldn't it yeah so that's what we did when we when we shut down before so what we gave our prepay options is that they could have elected to continue, you know, just allow us to have the money because a lot of our members said, look, we budgeted for it anyway. This is what we want to do for the glove. You keep all of it. No problem. That was it. And, and we kept, you know, kept those funds. For the others, we allowed them to do a 50% back on their account or 100% back on their account. So a lot of those prepays right now have credits sitting on their account. So when their prepay comes up for renewal, they'll apply that credit to their next prepay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, very good. And we normally would never do that, ever, ever, ever. But of course, that was our change this year with prepays. Yeah. Okay, Blair. Uh, the, the second part of the question that the audience is, you know, wanting to hear about a little bit is we've talked to revenues so far, but I know you're a big proponent of looking at every line item from a cost containment or a cost cutting. Are there some things that uh, you've discovered that maybe people are forgetting about as far as cost cutting that they may want to look at that you've uncovered, uh, especially having been closed the longest? So you've had maybe a little more time to contemplate that. Yeah, well, here's the thing about being closed the longest. When you can find those things that, like, for I'll tell you one, that, I'll tell you one, music licensing, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we've been closed for six months. We went and negotiated uh, on the music licensing, all of them, to add that time on. We hadn't even, didn't, didn't even think about that. So it, I think the longer you're closed, the more you think about that type of an expense that, that maybe, you know, you're supposed to be getting value over time for it that you paid in advance. You know, we early on bill brought up insurance you know there's a you know there's there's some you know money to be had uh with the insurance that you paid because you haven't because you haven't been open right you know, I, I probably just think through the biggest things we all did 
you know, it's a uh, financing. How are we finance? Can we restructure something on our finance? What are our leases? What are our payroll? Once, once you've done, <laughs> once you've kind of done those big three, now it's time to start really digging into the digging into every line item on that P and L, and seeing, you know, exactly what you can fiddle away. And that's where, you know, we went back to the music licensing and got adjustments there. I think you might be surprised that if you're working with other third parties out there, uh, just how much renegotiation you can do with third parties, no matter no, no matter what category they're. It could be janitorial, it could be you know bookkeeping, it could be it could be a lot of things. But um, you know you know they want you to stay open and they want your business in the future, and generally they're going to offer some uh, relief um, right now. Yeah, yeah. So before I ask uh, any of you others to chime in on anything cost, uh, well, I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, any other cost-containing ideas you thought were kind of you know unusual or outliers? Uh, Laura, you go first, and I'll go to Bill. Yeah. Well, I don't know about outliers, but what I was going to say is some of it's kind of falling in our lap. Like part of the Villa Sport brand was lots of retention oriented or just staying within our brand image events and random acts of kindness and pop-up events and huge events and well now with the can't have gatherings over so many people so virtually our calendar went from this full to this full and that was a lot of money we spent over the years and and they were great events and people looked forward to them but you could look at the history the timeline of Villa Sport. And as we've grown, we keep adding, 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 adding. Yet our attrition rate is the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. So at this point, it's like, okay, which of those things really do make a difference? And which, now that we've had the opportunity to not have them for a while, do we just quietly not add back? And so we're putting a lot of thought into, you know, what the mm -hmm. Billisport brand now means at, at this point, and then as things start to come back. Yeah, I love that. And Laura, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, on our roundtable is one of our good friends, Lisa Gorseline, and she actually has a process that she takes her managers through. I think it's called cut out the crap. Uh, and <laughs> she has them, you know, every so often fill out a form of what they're going to actually stop doing. Uh, because every all of us are guilty of just, oh, here's another thing. Let's do this and let's do this. And we we don't cut them off at the bottom, uh, so to speak. Bill, you you go ahead next, cost containment. We we got a rebate from our casualty insurance company. Blair kind of alluded to that, but um, you know, no, not business interruption insurance, not a claim, just a simple rebate because we weren't open and had reduced risk and, and reduced premiums. Kind of like the car insurance companies are giving their customers rebates. So have that conversation because that's a big number um, for most of us. The other thing is, as goofy as it sounds, go through all of your staffs and all of your corporate and all of your credit card statements. Um, we, we, we get an Adobe license here and a thingy here and a marketing thing here, and we accumulate these subscriptions on our credit cards over years. Go through the credit card statements of everybody in the company that are corporate cards and, and see what kind of, you know, cut out the crap kind of thing. You know, what, what can we get rid of there? Yeah, Paula. So two things, um, and this is going back to insurance, for general liability and package policies, sometimes insurance providers base that on your membership numbers or your revenue. So if your membership numbers and your revenue are down, make sure that you're having that negotiation with them because they may work with you. The other is your workers' compensation is always a payroll or a headcount, Your workers, and so your payroll and headcount's down. So obviously you could work on that too. 
And then the other piece, and some clubs have already done this, is the switch from credit card to ACH. Um, we never did that, and you know, it's a $300,000 hit to us. So we didn't put an incentive with it, but we did a campaign and did a video with our business office um, staff and actually called it Make the Switch. And we just pitched it, did a video to our members within five minutes of sending out the phone call. Was, people were ringing and said, what do you want? And if I don't want you in my bank account, can I just give you a check and so forth? So we didn't force them. We just said, here's what you could do to help us if you want. And they had to decide, do they want their credit card miles and stuff and then keep it that way. But we even just said, even if you do it for a year, it will help us during this one year. So that's it. Great idea. Great idea. I know a lot of clubs have been uh, doing that related to membership renewal, but I think you're the first that thought of that as a strategy uh, during the shutdown and recovery period. Great. Great job. Blair? Yeah, I'd be interested to know also something that we've done and that some of our MXM customers, actually quite a few of our MXM customers have done, is um, they have retrained certain staff that they brought on. Very Almost no one has brought back all their staff. Right. And they've retrained certain staff um, that they don't have sales teams anymore. You know, there's a there's a cross functional role at the front desk. And I, and this is this is probably much harder to do at Bill's, Lori's or Paula's clubs that, that might be, you know, far more sophisticated uh, than mine. Um, but a lot of our MXM customers have done this now. Again, small sampling, not claiming victory here. Right. But um, this is working really well for us right now. We converted a, a space, uh, you know, where we used to have a sales desk. We just converted it into a nice casual lounge. They now work off iPads and, uh, you know, there's just a deal at the front desk. They can just flip over and somebody can sign up right there. And, uh, you know, that's I and so I'd be interested to know just, uh, you know, if anybody else here is doing that. Yeah, one I could throw out uh, that I've heard before is, uh, and actually the same same discovery process we're going through at the association, by the way, looking at every line item. And one thing we found is that we have a lot less staff, 40% uh, less work manpower at URSA now than earlier in the year. And with that, we're a lot of software licensing. You know, a lot of the licensing for your software is by person. So if you haven't looked at all those software licensing, if that's the way they're priced, uh, there may be some savings there. Go ahead, Bill. I was just going to say, you know, Blair Blair's hitting upon a trend that's happening with um, with most, you know, progressive operators. You're taking your manager on duty role, your service desk role, and your enrollment function membership sales role, and you're morphing that into a team role. Yeah. Um, and the casual open space membership enrollment areas, that's been going on for quite some time. Um, Blair's are beautiful the way he's designed his. But um, you also have a change in the consumer's behavior and expectation. Nobody wants to be sold. You know, it's a service function. It's an educated consumer. We all know what's changed over the last several years. And with COVID, it's even a different evolution of that change with regard to how you handle the enrollment process with the consumer. So. Um, this um, team approach to service and enrollment in a non-conflicting, less salesy um, approach is is a uh, is a trend not only in our industry but in all industries. Lori, um, two of the things just spoken about we actually did back in 2016. We went uh, with EFT and 
credit cards started in sending people with about $2 less a month dues if they went to uh, ACH. And it's been a complete flip in those four years where we used to be the vast majority of credit cards. We are now the vast majority of uh, bank cards. And then in terms of membership sales, we went to an hourly ambassador role uh, about four years ago also, um, not individually commissioned uh, team bonus, uh, very Julie from the Love Boat uh, theme of well, <laughs> you know, making a friend versus making a sale kind of uh, attitude. Or you have and to teach the, your audience what the Love Boat was. Exactly. <laughs> Julie. Julie, Julie from the Love Boat. Yeah. Um, but the other, another thing we just introduced, we're calling it the Villa Sport Associate concept. We've taken 10 of our frontline roles from front desk to Villa Kids, food and beverage to housekeeping to lifeguards. And we've got this hashtag no silos. So instead of like I'm the food and beverage supervisor and I need someone for 12 hours a week and I'm going to post and then I'm going to interview and then I'm going to hire, it's, it's now all team hiring and sort of a complete switch from years ago when ACA first came on, it was like, okay, we've got to keep the majority of our team 28 hours or less. Now it's like we want the majority of our team committed and working full time. So we're looking at creating positions where, well, maybe you have 15 hours at the front desk, but then you have 25 in Villa Kids and you're a Villa Sport associate, but you have these roles and we move you from role to role trying to groom you potentially to become a supervisor or into our manager and training program or so forth. So there's, we're trying to minimize or eliminate anybody working less than 20 hours for us and maximize people getting in that 35 to 40 hour range. Great, good insight. Well, I'm gonna take us uh, off our topic, well, sort of off our topic just for a moment to answer uh, uh, several chats that are asking about the comment from uh, presidential hopeful Joe Biden the other night about uh, bars and gymnasiums being closed. I was afraid that might come up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so my, and the question, he tied it to uh, budgeting, you know, should we budget differently because of that statement, meaning the outlook might not be so positive. Uh, and to that, I would say, you know, the, the reality is, as I'm learning more and more about uh, public affairs, the president really isn't driving those decisions, uh, no matter which one it is, right? Uh, past, present, or future. Uh, Paul is a great example of her success in Colorado. It's a local, it's a state, it's really not even a state, but a county decision about keeping clubs open. So that's point one. I don't think I would tie my budgeting to uh, who the presidential uh, winner is. And then secondly, I would just say that, um, you know, continue to sign up for those alliances. Your political activity uh, is really important uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, so I just thought I would say that. And then as a follow up to that, just because I'm with URSA now, we've crafted a response uh, to that and we're reaching out to his campaign and uh, Mr. Biden's transition team to provide a little education, a little background, a little research about uh, the importance of clubs, all the same information that Paula just referred to uh, and more, you know, we're trying to reach out and uh, help move that mindset a little bit, if you will. So that's probably the best answer to that one. And uh, yes, Paula. Just to add on to that, I think that at the Alliance level, it's important when we first shut down, we had bars and gyms lumped into the same category here in Colorado but we worked hard to separate. So 
at the state level again is where you can make sure you separate yourselves from other things so you all know and Blair you you know look at our statistics all the time we have our own line item all by ourselves and that's what you want to make sure at the state level is that you have put yourself into a category by yourself so that you're not lumped into the other things great uh and another question from the audience paula and they're wondering if you could share that sort of letter that you put together for colorado so uh, again maybe we could uh, have that uh, two things one rachel with club solutions can perhaps pass that on to attendees that would be number one uh, so you'll get that in sort of the follow-up summary and then paula if you'll shoot that uh, to ursa we'll make sure it gets on the alliance uh, website as well as an example for you to follow. And you can just go to ursa.org and, and get that information. So pulling us back on topic, uh, the next question was about cleaning supplies. Everybody's spending more time on not only cleaning supplies, but manpower to do the cleaning and sanitation and fogging and those types of things. Uh, any thoughts or, or information you can share around that topic, Bill? Yeah, I mean, our big thing was we have to cleaning, we have to clean supplies, right? Just like everybody. But we reduced or eliminated, in our case, towels. So for us, it's still a net gain on the cost of towel service um, with regard to laundry, housekeeping staff, uh, cost of towels, detergent, so on. So, so even with all the additional expenses, with the reduction and elimination of towels, I think we're positive at the operating budget level. And, and Bill, how bold are you? You're going to never bring towels back because we all know we lose so many of them. It's a huge uh, financial drain. Or are you going to be a chicken and just bring it back when the pandemic's over? Right. You know, as much as I love towels, uh, I want to protect the cleanliness of the consumer and their hygiene. And, uh, and for the forever safety of the member, I'm going to uh, I'm going to attempt to not bring towels back because I care that uh, that we don't have anything uh, that they have to touch with regard to their body that they don't control by bringing in themselves. So I think I'm going to uh, try and keep the towels out. Uh, yeah, and for the environment and world peace. And world peace. <laughs> hey, Paula. Um, just to add on to that, I think a natural savings is you're spending more money on those things, but you're spending less on consumable supplies because there's less people in the club. Or maybe your showers weren't open and you weren't going through shampoos and conditioners and and Q-tips and cotton valves and all those other types of things. So those levels for us have kind of just shifted from one category to the next category. Um, it, yeah. So. You know, the other thing, the other thing I think to to look at, and on our own roundtable. Now I have not done this yet, but on our own roundtable, we have a few that have on roundtable too. Is just um, increasing your price. You know, uh, and. At, at some point, we're all going to have to address that, I think, if we don't, you know, if, if capacities stay low, if, you know, you're providing a, 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 a lot different environment, if, you know, it depends on how long these group rooms are, are limited, um, it might be an opportunity um, there for the people that really want to be training and, and maybe, you know, keep it. Because people are, people like the environments they're coming back into. They really like the environments. And then on the towel thing, um, we're probably going to keep towels. And it just comes from my own experience of, uh, of uh, being down in Palo Alto and being a member at a, at a club down there and how much easier it made my life that they had towels. It was a big deal to me personally. So we'll, we'll see. And plus, I, I, 
I like that. I like making sure there's a sweat towel for everybody when they come in and a cleaning towel when they come in, because I don't, if they forget one, you know, I, I would rather make sure they, uh, they always have one. Okay. So we're going to go the chicken route. If we can sum that up. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. I'm doing this for world peace. Believe me, I'm doing this because I'm doing this to save lives laundry even though you're now going to be doing it in your laundry at home instead of me doing it here it's just you know yeah. shall we say it's a walk okay there you go <laughs> so, Lori, uh, i've got to ask you because we had this offline in our round table about the cleaning solutions and you mentioned that uh, the people that maintain your equipment a third-party firm that comes in and keeps it all running keeps it lubricating is giving you feedback that a lot of these cleaning uh materials and the frequency and the fogging are really not doing justice to the equipment can you elaborate yeah. on that a little bit and just give people a heads up yeah i i i didn't personally talk to this i kind of heard it secondhand through our vpf facilities but uh just giving us a heads up that um they noted that there's some gumming up of things in certain parts of the equipment or potentially some rust issues coming up and recommending that we in fact not do it as often as we're as we're doing it so we're in the process of looking into that and reviewing you know one of the things we did during those couple of months you're closed you had all and there were all these products coming out you know of all the things we needed to do to disinfect and this was best and this was best and use this and use that and uh, we made the decision that we weren't going to jump on every bandwagon that came about we just decided to cover the basics with the you know the disinfectant the wipes, the hand sanitizer, and the overnight fogging, and call it a day. We didn't jump on anything else. We already felt like we had great uh, HVAC systems and circulation in our clubs because they're huge with high ceilings and everything. So I think that's helped us because we haven't overspent on things that sort of are really not making a difference, especially now that the world has changed and it's not so much about surface, you know, uh, catching it from surfaces and so forth. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Sorry to put you on the spot on that, but I thought that was really quite interesting and it makes perfect sense. You know, you're using those abrasive chemicals uh, and it would probably do damage more faster. Right. So that, uh, I think that makes lots of sense. Yes, Paula. That, to add on to that, I actually had a member comment yesterday when he's doing pull-ups that the top, the pull-up bars are getting covered with stuff that it's actually on his hands as much as we're scrubbing because we fog it every single night, electrostatic sprayer, and the combination of all of it is creating a buildup that we can't actually even get off. So it's, and it, and so from a risk perspective, make sure things are not slippery and so forth too. I mean, it's again, unintended consequence, right? Um, all right. The, the other thing I just wanted to mention real quick, some of you have moved from like to a MERV 13 in your HVAC. We moved from MERV 8s to, to MERV 13s. Obviously, they're a, a higher cost right away, so that's one. But we've had them in long enough now to know this goes kind of back to the budgeting. We're going to have to replace them more quickly because they're gathering all of the debris faster. So that's a huge budgeting thing of replacing, you know, we have 100 filters here so every three months you're going to replace every single one of those filters so that's something that's going to have to be into your budget as well yeah wow. 
good insight there. So uh, enough, uh, the next question is sort of about any particular tools or strategy. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the budget planning and not really, most of you are not doing too much budgeting except for Paula, but as you're sort of, you know, doing the brainstorming and putting these forecasts out there to be used bill term, any, any advice you might have for those that are in the process? Bill, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all are accustomed as, you know, an executive level looking at the P&L, um, but really looking at your GL, your general ledger. And so, you know, if I'm a manager of a site or an owner, I want to look at every transaction I've had over the last, call it a year, 18 months, line by line, you know, just like you review a credit card statement. So looking at your general ledger, not just your P&L and going, oh, that number looks less than last year. But going through every transaction you've had over the last 12 to 18 months um, and questioning those those transactions, you know. And so um, in my experience, most managers and most of us on the executive level look at the P&L and make inferences. But get your GL, your general ledger with every transaction. OK, good. Very good. Um, Lori, I know that you've already mentioned you all are sort of taking a you know, a less detailed approach to your planning and budgeting, but also know Billisport has great sort of management processes and systems. Anything that, you know, some people that may not have the scale that you do could use or learn from Billisport around this topic? Well, one of the things we did early on when we saw happen, I mean, we pulled all spending central. I mean, we had spending authorities and all our clubs, those all went away and uh, we're looking very carefully at everything, just like Bill said on the GL and so forth. But we created this thing called the Daily Club Closure Report. And it was when the clubs were closed and they were reporting on their special cleaning projects and everything they were getting done. Because we we covered our clubs, asset management 24 seven during the shutdown and we had our kept our management team employed and they just worked you know, three eight hour shifts a day, making sure the club was covered and we could answer the phone and respond to member emails and so forth. But even after we reopened, we kept the reports and they're on a daily basis telling us which manage, which salaried managers worked, which hourly supervisors worked, how many hours they had in each department of the club, any expenses that they spent aside from payroll that day. And then they're tracking things like, um, you know, incoming phone calls and and so forth, and then reporting on any COVID issues or any other things we should be aware of. And we've kept it going day after day, and it's a rhythm they have now. We can refer back to those and on a daily basis know what's happening in the club. And if somebody looks like they've had too many hours in housekeeping, the regional manager's on the phone to the GM saying, give me an explanation for that. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, really good. Blair, what about uh, you? Uh, any tools or tips as far as planning this out? Well, we we just adapt. I mean, no, not really. We use Google. We use, you know, Google Docs, Google Sheets. And when we do our annual planning, it's broken down into multiple tabs. So the annual planning has to end up, you know, and now it's going to be like three-month planning, right? Has to end up as hard work somewhere, or else you're just getting in a room and talking, right? So at some point, it has to devolve into hard work. And so what we do once we have any initiatives, then those go on one sheet with the with what are the key milestones on that initiative? What are the key milestones on that initiative? And when is this fully operational? 
those milestones have dates that just go green, yellow, or red, and you can you can translate that. And then we have our weekly dashboard, our weekly sheet with our list of action items, and and the action items are always to you know keep moving the ball down the field on all of our on everything that you're driving, whether it's membership and retention and other other revenue. But we always make sure that there's um, a, a verb, a verb, a date certain, and one person responsible on every one of those action items, and it has to be answered as a yes or no question. So the next week, when they come in, is it was it done? Yes or no? We also measure. We also say, is that small, medium, or large that activity? And then we then people can understand. Then we have a, a glossary that says what small what a small action item is. It's not moving the ball down the field much, but it's necessary, and so on. And then uh, how risky is it? And at risk means what's the chances you're actually going to get it done by next week? And the risk factors are usually because there's other dependencies on it. Meaning it's not all you. You know that's at risk because we got to get Blair to look at. It. So that's going to be it risk i have to get it done next week but there's dependency so we just process weekly the actual tasks that are driving the milestones or the strategy yeah so can i give an example of what blair just said blair is spending money name verb on towels tomorrow <laughs> measured by ten thousand dollars with an expense risk so that would be an example of what blair just said <laughs> yeah, perfect example, Bill. Thank you. So let's pull back from now this detail to sort of just your broad perspective. Um, and it's very uncertain times, but as you look out to the future, uh, let's say 2021, not just the last two months of this year, you know, overall, what's your sense of the performance that most clubs should be able to attain overall? Just a general perspective and things that you might think might play into that we're gonna we're recording this so we'll be, hold you to it we'll roll it back at the end of next year yeah. <laughs> go ahead bill uh, my, my working assumption is if we're at 75 to 80 percent um in 2021 that would be uh, a win. be uh yeah so um you know i'm expecting at least a a 25 to 35% contraction. Um, but there's also the element of the economy, you know, they're saying 2024, 2025 by some reports from a, a total rebound in the economy. So, but, uh, but you know, if I'm at 75%, you know, that's kind of what I'm working towards. Okay. Someone else want to step out there? You know, there, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of stuff that, you know, People aren't just going to sit on the sidelines and say, you know, I'm going to let this happen to me. The people that are on this call, the people that are in the industry, you, Brent, frankly, what you've done with Ursa, and it's, you know, I think has been absolutely fabulous. The equipment companies, everybody's thinking and innovating and trying to address what's happening. Those are the things that change trend line. And that we can't, but it's hard to, it, it's hard to say you know, that that trend line is going to change because you can't see what they're innovating. You can't see what's going to come from that. But innovation is going to happen. Okay? And it's, you know, because of the existential threat that we're going through, innovation is going to happen. And, and, people are, and people are measuring the results. And 
so there could be some uh, change. But I, I'll tell you, I'm 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 with Bill that this is uh, a year from now is when we might be able to start seeing uh, more optimism. And I feel like it's going to be. I've said this before, so I feel like it's going to be a fight until then. You're going to, you know, Paula, you just fought with the state. You 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 fight the news report that comes out. You you know fight to keep your members. You, but um, yeah, I. Innovation is well, going to happen around this. There will be some changes that will have a very positive effect out there. Yeah, just, just real quick, Brent. You know, I'm kind of being doomsday there. You know, we're going to have declines. But to Blair's point, think future-proofing your club. How are you going to survive forever? You know, so the concept of future-proofing is a big deal here. Yeah, and I, I've been saying, you know, and some of the people I've been talking with, that they say, oh, Brent likes a crisis. People have said that, and there's probably a little truth in that, although I'd say nothing of this magnitude, please, uh, ever again. Uh, but it does. Crisis, you know, breeds progress. It breeds inventiveness, uh, if you want to use that word, or innovation. Perhaps that's a better word. And it also breeds bold strategies. Right. You know, we're we're all entertaining strategies about our business and business partners and how we go about things that we normally wouldn't have ever probably even considered. Um, and perhaps that's another silver lining for all of us. But uh, back to your predictions. Go ahead, Laura. I'll let you go next. Well, I was going to jump on what you just said. I, I think we all believe that ultimately on the other side of this, we will be a far better company for it. Uh, it is really painful in the meantime. I mean, uh, massive uh, losses of, I mean, we're, we're staying in the black overall, but definitely similar to Paula, way, way, way down from where we used to be. And I don't think we have any illusions that we'll get 100% of it back in 2021. I think similar to those guys, if we were in that 70, it back, we consider that a big win uh, for next year. Um, and then what was the, I'm like a politician. I just ignored your question and I went on to something else. <laughs> yeah, you did that very well, by the way. Yeah, uh, I've had a lot of vision, watching these debates, I'm learning, you know. <laughs> well, the audience is asking for uh, probably both you and Bill, because y'all threw out the 70, 75% number. And that's what you're, compared to 2019, right? You're saying you're going to be about that yeah. number. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. All right, Paula, your prediction. Well, I think the, the the budget that we put together really didn't see growth until next September. So I think that's part of, you know, Blair, when you're looking at about a year from now, we're missing the best months in 2021 because we can't plan on January, February, March being what January, February, March normally was. And I think, you know, when I referred to our revenues being so far back, it's because we're missing the, the the exciting part of our year. And then we go into summer, which is already a difficult thing to do, especially Colorado, you're outside all the time and so forth. So when we finally are able to put a little bit more revenue coming in, it wasn't until next September. So so that was one thing when we were looking at the budget. And then I think to, to the master who is on this call, our focus is the member experience for next year. How do we bring Greenwood back to being Greenwood? Because all the amenities that made us extra special or made our price higher made us have been taken away. And you know, the, the conversations that I have with members that have joined in July, August, and September, I'm like, 
oh my gosh, you have no idea really who we are yet. I mean, you, you have to deal with plexi signs and, and stickers all over the place and all this. And we haven't been able to roll out the red carpet in the way that we want to do it. And I think when you're looking at that budgeting, make sure you do not budget to take anything away from the member experience and deliver that. Um, it's difficult right now, but you know, I want to get back to you. There was a time when we were much higher on our MXM scores. We got to get those back up there. So um, that's a focus for us, definitely. What are these MXM scores you refer to? <laughs> I'll, I'll allow someone else on the panel to explain it much better than I can. <laughs> Uh, well, that is, by the way, the member experience, it, it, I don't care if it's pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, post-pandemic, or 20 years from now. It's, a, it's customer experience is where loyalty is built. And for us, that, that member experience is where it's built. And if you're, not, if you're not measuring, if you're not paying attention, and I was talking to Bill yesterday about our clubs are at 25% capacity, and so, you know, it's not like you go in and the club's buzzing and you have two people at the front desk and two trainers out there and your well-trained people are out there kicking ass and engaging and everything. It's like, I, it's the show that you're used to seeing and it's not, you're one person there and she's doing an incredible job, but she has to, you know, shore that up. So you got to figure out every possible place that you can make that member feel like they're part of a family and that you're doing the most you can to keep them safe. So Blair, what are you seeing globally on MPS scores? Uh, have most of your longtime clients seeing a little dip or are people? So this is interesting because net, net promoter scores uh, post-pandemic, I mean, not post-pandemic, post-shutdown, post net promoter scores are lower by about 20%. But all of the key drivers that you would normally see, overall staff friendliness, front desk staff friendliness, um, equipment condition, gym cleanliness, all of those are higher. So when you dig in in text analytics, what you're seeing people say is, I'm not sure people want to come back yet. So that's yeah. why we're seeing the net promoter scores lower. Likelihood to continue scores are higher right now. Okay. So Bill, we're almost out of time. I would let you make one more comment and then I'll wrap us up. Okay. I just, you got three big levers. You got payroll, your biggest, you got rent, your second, everything else is other. And so, but that other's big. It's usually 20 to 35% of our deal. So uh, don't take it, don't forget about the other. Um, and you don't have to spend a lot of money to have a great member experience. You just have to have a, a commitment and a process and a training and a culture for member experience. So don't think when Blair's talking member experience and Paula's talking, it, it doesn't have to be an expensive endeavor. Right. Great advice. Um, so also before we sign off today, I want to remind everybody that Club Solutions is having their uh, virtual summit November 9th through 11th. So November 9th through 11th, uh, I think most of the panelists on uh, this call are a part of that uh, summit experience, if you will. Uh, it's free to everyone that would like to attend, so don't don't miss out on that. And if you need more information about that, you can obviously go to Club Solutions and check out uh, the agenda and all the speakers and how to register for that, which again is free. So uh, there's a lot of these great events around our industry, and uh, yeah, we'd encourage you to check out what Club Solutions is doing for sure. Lori and Paula, thank you uh, ladies again for coming back and joining us uh, and sharing your experience and wisdom around cost containment. And uh, Bill and Blair, always good to have you guys back. Audience, thanks for joining us once again. We'll be back again uh, next week.
same time. Until then, be the salt and the light. Bye, all. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. See you guys. Bye. See you later.